ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Discussions around how to regulate short stays accommodation is front and centre and for good reason. Many locals have nowhere to live. There is in some cases zero availability of long-term rentals in tourist towns and communities. But some short stay owners and those in the tourism sector say that some of these homes and businesses play an important part in tourism, something that Victoria likes to hang its hat on. And many believe that greater consultation is needed to ensure that the right rules are put into place so that in freeing up homes, we're not destroying businesses in the process. And then we have to ask the question, we have to look in the mirror and say, how much of this is our fault. Good morning. I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warnable. Daniel, let's face facts. We mm-hmm. are all complaining about the problems, the crisis that short stays accommodation has created in this state. But at the same time, just on the cusp of school holidays in particular, how many of us are booking them? Yeah, good morning, Rochelle. Look, I... I'll admit it, I love a good holiday as much as the next person. But, you know, in the midst of a cost of living crisis, when I start my search, I'm always looking at what I can actually afford. Mm -hmm. And often that means turning your backs on the big hotel chains and looking at some of these short-stay accommodation providers because that's fiscally what comes my way. But as a result, you know, we find ourselves in this ethical dilemma Are we perpetuating something that's tanking a housing market, that's impacting the fabrics of these communities that we're ingratiating ourselves in and staying in at the same time as as choosing these? And then also, are the short-stay accommodation owners getting a bad rap as a result of our choices? Look, are we part of the problem and is it even our problem to fix? And, I mean, there's already texts coming in on this saying, my coastal town has about 8,500 dwellings, but around just over 1,000 are Airbnbs and just way too many. There are hardly any long-term rentals. They don't belong in residential zones. They're a nuisance. They push up the cost of housing and they hollow out neighbourhoods. That's from Linda. And many, many people would agree with that. You in particular, Daniel Miles, you live in the tiny town of Port Ferry. Mm -hmm. You would, I mean, have, is it something as crazy as one in three uh, short stays? something exactly like that. And as a result, it has lasting impacts on community. Look, I mean, and I'm, I'm not unaware of the fact of how lucky I am to live in a coastal town. This is a something that I'm very grateful for. But when you live in a town that has such a high vacancy rate for, for permanent residents, it does have an impact on the community. And, and I'm seeing it when I go down the street. There are shops that are begging for workers. There are businesses that are closing down and you speak to them and you say, what's going on? I love what you guys are doing. And they say, we just can't get workers in because housing isn't available. Mm. So how much of that is our responsibility when we go to these towns, we take those cheaper options? Are we at fault here? And is this my fault? I think it's all your fault, Daniel yeah, Miles. Yeah, so. And as regulations are starting to come into place, we've seen Hobart bring in mm-hmm. new regulations. It's happening in Byron Bay and parts of New South Wales, and we know it's on the table now for Victoria. So what does that look like? Who needs to be consulted? Does it need to be council by council, depending on how much availability there is? And also today, we want to hear from you. If you are the owner of a short stays accommodation, why? How did you get into it? What's the reason behind you letting out that property? And how would you like to see it regulated as well? And as we said, does it all come down to us expecting affordable homestyle accommodation? And in the midst of a housing crisis, how much of this issue have we caused ourselves? Can you on one hand complain about all of the problems that short stays have created and on the other hand, use that service? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable. This text, it's a way for people with holiday houses to keep their house lived in when they're not using it. A little later, we'll speak to a real estate agent in Phillip Island because I think for people who have had 
I guess, the luxury of a holiday house. And I know I grew up down with my uncle and auntie having the, the classic Aussie shack in mm-hmm. Phillip Island. And they were, you know, like fibro, two bedrooms, six kids in yep. one room, you know, the type. Just havoc. Just havoc <laughs> and so basic, so basic. But there weren't really permanent tenants in mm. Cowes and Phillip Island, or well, not many, anyhow, back in the 70s and 80s. And that shifted as well. Now people want to live in these small coastal towns where people yep. once had a holiday home where you'd maybe sort of sweep out the huntsman's <laughs> a couple of times a year when you yep. went to stay there. So that's a part of it too. But let's have a chat with Malcolm. He's in Wangaratta. Hi, Malcolm. Well, how are you going? Um, look, it's a no-brainer. Uh, the reason why there's a shortage in rental properties is the pendulum has swung that in that much in favour of the tenant, and the landlord basically has no rights whatsoever. I mean, just to give you an example, you can like I've, we've got tenants, we've got properties and tenanted, and we've got tenants in there. Some some might be in there for fifteen or ten years. We look after them and that, but uh, but the pendulum swung that much that you can put someone in a in a unit. And they can bring in they can bring in pets. You can't stop them from having pets, so you can't stop them from doing small alterations. Uh, all these regulations and rules have come in. So why would you want to be a mm. landlord? Mm. And why would you have a rental property? And I can give you an example to the extreme. You could have a pet giraffe, say, put him in your lounge room. He needs a hole in the roof to put your his head out. So you can put a hole in the ceiling, and you can't do anything about it. That's that's basically how it's got. If Malcolm, really- there's been quite a few people that have said similar things when we did a program if people want to listen back to, I guess, some of the blame that's being put onto landlords now. And we do know that the average landlord, Daniel, is mm-hmm. is an average mum and dad, inverted commas, landlord. But people yeah. would agree with Malcolm and say, it's actually become too hard to be a landlord. That's why I, I short stay out my accommodation. And you can understand it when people are put with those sort of restrictions on them. They want to take something that's an easier option. I mean, that's a that's a very basic human thing for us to do. Ray's called in from Meetung. Good morning, Ray. Oh, hi. I actually was just about to parrot exactly what the guy said uh, before because um, I know several people who've got rental properties and um, they if they have a problematic tenant, they basically have no rights at all. I, I was talking to someone the other day who had $35,000 worth of damage done and had no recourse to um to claim anything back or, or to you know it's a, it's a disaster the way the government has actually pushed the boundary so far to the left and and so in a way to try and protect renters it's swung too far do you still think though ray that there needs to be some form of regulation on short stays because as daniel said in his community now one in three homes are vacant for a large period of time oh i absolutely agree in Meetung, there's uh it's um um, we're having exactly that problem. There's no one um, uh, can afford to rent, and no one um, can, you know, work, shops haven't got uh, workers because um, there's that there's that group of people that would normally work in shops that can't afford to stay in the area. So, and, and also, you know, the same with uh, I work at the uh, the local hospital, and uh, trying to find rental uh, accommodation for host, new hospital staff is almost impossible, and it is a dilemma. But whether you legis- legislate it or you actually make tenancy uh, rental, rental properties more attractive to people who own them, um, you know, if you legislate, legislate something like that, you're actually skewing the market in the other direction. Mm. Thanks for calling in, Ray. We've got Amber, who's called in from Ocean Grove. Good morning to you, Amber. G'day. How are you? Very well. You own an Airbnb, I understand. Yeah, we've got uh, an Airbnb. We're also owners of a long-term holiday rental, and um, there is you know, positives and negatives of both aspects. But um, certainly we've got a holiday rental because we needed to keep our options open to be able to sell the property in the future. And uh, with the rules and restrictions around long-term rentals, it took away our options. And I think it's the rules in the long-term rental have Mm. just gone a bit too far. So would you be happy, though, if you're looking at taking on a a short-stays accommodation to have more rules and regulations put into place there? The Victorian government is considering it seriously. We know in Hobart at the moment they've just doubled the rates and we know that there's big changes in Byron Bay. So is that Mm -hmm. something that would then maybe turn you off if stricter regulations came in? Because at the moment it's pretty easy, right? It's a free-for-all. Oh, it's pretty easy. And as investors, you know, these properties still cost us a lot of money to hold and maintain. Uh, and so it's not an easy choice to to make either way. Uh, and I think retrospectively putting rules into place certainly makes it hard for, for those that have made decisions on a on a playing field where there wasn't 
really any rules at all. So I'd be very concerned about what rules mm. got put in place that we'd all be responding to at once and what that could mean. And I wonder how much of it needs to be council by council. The Mornington Peninsula has huge issues with yep. availability. So many tech. It's not this, Daniel. That can't keep up with them already. This that says, shouldn't it be the choice of the owner, what they do with the property? They own it. Mm-hmm. Another says, I own an investment property in Tasmania, which I put out on Airbnb because I cannot afford to buy a primary place of residence in Melbourne. That's from Helen in Kew. And it comes on both sides of the pendulum as well. We've had this. Ah, yes, the put-upon landlords. Poor them and their multiple properties. I'm crying for you all. It's a sensitive discussion that we have to have because it comes in the midst of a place and a time where people are really struggling to get rentals and we, we are fully cognizant of that. But it's such a... It's not an Occam's razor. It's a, it's a double-edged sword mm. that we find ourselves with. Uh, Marek has called up from regional Victoria. Good morning. I understand you're a landlord. Oh, hi, yes. Uh, my name's Marika. We're in uh, landlords for 26 years in regional Victoria and now in New South Wales. We've got a number of properties and have had residential properties, as I said, for 25 years. There's a couple of issues about why landlords are going to short stay. Um, one of the main reasons is because you don't get the quality of tenants that you used to get. Tenants 20 years ago, 10 years ago, will look after your place, respect your place, and you had a good rapport. The gentleman before who mentioned about the uh, Residential Tenancies Act, Mm. that has changed so much that in New South Wales, for example, you can have a fixed lease with a tenant for 12 months. They can break it at three months. They can break it at two months. And your break fee is to a maximum of four weeks rent. So, Marika, are you then concerned, because lots of people are saying very similar things to you, and we did invite uh, Airbnb to be a part of today's program as well, but nobody uh, returned our request. It feels as though they are shifting into the long-term rental market. So they are, you know suggesting that owners like yourself maybe rent their property out for six months or for 12 months. So you would get that so-called long-term tenant, but you wouldn't have any of the rules and regulation that comes with the Tenancy Act. You would then be under the short stays rules, which are pretty loose. Well, you can't evict a tenant for 90 days or you can't give notice to a tenant in Victoria, it's coming in in New South Wales, for example. If you want to do something with the property, if you want to move the tenant on, you can't give them that 90 days or 120 days end of lease, mm. no reason asked. That's gone. Yeah. We've had a situation where one of our properties, there was a tenant we suspected was using ice, and we couldn't do anything about it because unless you can see them manufacturing it or actually smoking it in the house you can't say that they're doing illegal activity there's lots of people that are saying similar things to you on this, but at the same time, renters need protection, Daniel Miles, and for so long mm-hmm. they didn't have that protection. Does it have to be one way or the other? Is there? I wonder whether anywhere locally or globally has come up with a solution where everybody kind of wins a little bit. Is that possible? Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. That's what this show's about. We always find the solutions to the hard questions, Rochelle. You know that. Um, we're going to speak to some people later on in the hour who will give us a bit of insight into exactly what's happening in the international market, whether there are solutions overseas. But at the moment, it's a question for us as communities. Do we expect these homestyle accommodations now that, you know, as we are in the midst of this affordability crisis, this housing crisis, how much of the problem sits with us and how much with the government and big corporations? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt with you and Melbourne Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable. And before we speak to a Professor of Housing and Social Policy who've been doing a lot of research into the negative impacts that short stays accommodation is having on social and affordable housing. Let's have a chat with Glennis. She's been an Airbnb host for some time in Queenscliff and I'm presuming Glennis, other than short stays accommodation, there wouldn't be a lot of 
hotels or caravan parks. What will happen to you, to your house, to your business, depending on the new regulations and laws that are brought in? Well, hope, uh, hi, Rochelle. Um, hopefully the borough of Queenscliff will protect us because uh, we are a very small council that um, looks after 3,000 um, residents. But uh, down here, we definitely need the Airbnbs because we've got the... Uh, it's a destination. So people are coming down uh, for, you know, the blues train or the restaurant train or going to the new ferry terminal there's all sorts of things goes on down here every weekend and we really need to have the short-term accommodation i mean we were a a town of uh four accommodation hotels now we're down to one because so many of them have been turned into apartments um so it it's lost a lot of what we had in terms of accommodation um and so we filled the gap um also making note of uh, long-term accommodation. We rented out our um, uh, the Airbnb and home that we actually live in, and it got turned into a cannabis grow house. So we had a huge amount of damage done, which actually gave us the opportunity to renovate and accommodate um, uh, couples to come and stay here at Swan Bay Views. So, uh, so I can relate to a lot a lot of what people are saying about long-term stays. Um, but down here, we definitely need it. And we travel a bit. And when we do, we always stay in accommodation that's provided for couples. And most of that is um, a separate accommodation at the back of people's homes, converted garages, converted little or well, added apartments. Um, and those things just aren't available other than through Airbnb. And Glennis, do you feel pressure in the midst of a, a housing crisis when we know so many people are struggling to get into rentals, so many people are, are really struggling to make ends meet? Do you, as a, as a landlord in this case, feel pressure to open your house up to those people who can't find a home? I think given the size of our apartment, um, it's probably more um, suitable, as I said, for couples. So in terms of people coming here to look for business or to look for work, um, there's still accommodation available for them or they travel out from Geelong or over from Mm. Ocean Grove. Uh, So there is that availability. But I'd just like to bring something to your attention. Last year, we were running at 65% occupancy, which is okay. This year, we're down to 4%. Now, people with, with, I mean, we're in a crisis as far as money's concerned and people have only got so much to go around. The people that have got money are overseas or they're travelling up north to the to the sunshine. So, Yeah, the I wonder whether that will start to have an impact across the board as we get into inverted commas normal life again because lots of people were just travelling locally, whether it's fear of uh, travelling overseas because of COVID Mm -hmm. or because of affordability, whatever it may be. We saw saw a huge spike in local tourism from locals over the last couple of years. Glennis, really good to hear from you again. Thank you. This is an interesting text and we will speak to Tourism Victoria in just a moment about this as well. It says the writing is on the wall here. The government will make short stays harder to do. People will sell their houses and put money into a different investment. Country towns will have neither the rental properties nor the short stays for tourists. Welcome to the death of rural Victoria. Oh, don't say that. I've only just moved out here. I can't, can't be living in it. We can't be having a death knell when I've only just put my roots down. That's not fair, is it? It's not fair. We've just got to spend all that money. I know. Wendy Stone is the Professor of Housing and Social Policy at the Centre of Urban Transitions at Swinburne University and has just completed research looking into the impacts of short stays. Is there a little bit of a stereotype, Wendy, of who owns a short stays accommodation? We often sort of hear terms loosely thrown around that people are coming in and they're buying up properties and they're renting them out as short stays accommodation, almost like they're wheeling in, you know, their wheelbarrow of cash like Monty Burns from The Simpsons. Is that, Who's renting them out on average? Who owns a short stays accommodation? Yeah, good morning, uh, just uh, good morning, Rochelle, and good morning, Daniel. Um, look, it's really um, actually um, in some ways in Australia quite difficult to tell who owns them, but what we do know is about um, uh, that there are about 30% of Australian uh, dwellings, the whole stock 
that is uh, rented out, um, whether it's long term or short stays, about 15% of our Australian taxpayers as of this year are property investors. Um, and there are some of these investors who um, about 7% of them own three or more properties and about 1% own six or more properties. So we've got a real mix of people who are, um, I think, more like, um, if you like, a mum and dad investor who um, you've been hearing some calls from. But I think it's very, very important to contextualise those calls in the context of a, a very growing um, market, if you like, or, or groups of people who are really playing the system and profiteering in a way in the housing market where we're not talking about, um, you know, just a a holiday shack. We're not talking about somebody who's just had one house or an, or an inheritance, for example. We are talking about conglomerations who may own hundreds of properties. And certainly in the Airbnb market, uh, what we know is that um, it, when you um, when you I shouldn't just mention Airbnb, but they're they're one of the main uh, groups that we have some data around about short stays. So short stays. Um, is a really interesting uh, sort of typology as well. If we just think for a minute about some short stays are just one room in somebody's house and we know who those people are and, and they don't um, disrupt the housing market all too much. What we really focused on were where a whole dwelling, whether it's a flat unit apartment, whether it's a townhouse or whether it's a freestanding house, sort of non-hosted um, dwelling. What happens in those? And this is where we get the real disruptions to mm. local communities. We get housing market effects and we get, in fact, one thing we haven't touched on, I think, so far in the really interesting conversation is, is that the amount of short stays is actually undermining, if you like, the evolution of an Australian tourism sector. Um, but, but we, we um, took a new methodology and approach and we've modelled directly uh, some of the uh, the impacts of the extent of non-hosted properties in local communities and what to do about it. My colleagues, uh, Terry Burke, Liz Ralston, Zoe Goodall and I at Swinburne uh, and um, the people modelling this have, have really developed a new methodology to show at which point we need to really set some interventions to try to yeah. get a bit of balance back here into communities. So, Wendy, looking at all of that, we need to find a solution, obviously. Where do we go from here? Is short stays solutions, are they a part of the problem or are they part of the answer? Yeah, it's a, it, it, we've got ourselves into a really vicious cycle. It's not a virtuous one. It's absolutely vicious and it needs some breaks on. And we're not alone. Just to give you a bit of context... Um, the European Union is looking at uh, whole of Europe uh, principles to try to to really just pause and slow down the impact of these short stays on disrupting housing and homes for people who 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 need them. We've we've heard today from callers about some of the impacts on their investments, but actually, on the flip side, we're talking about increased numbers of homelessness. Mm. Uh, we're talking about people very insecurely housed. So, what what to do about it? There are examples internationally of um, capping the number of uh, properties in any given local area that might be able to be let for short stays. There are examples of capping the number of days per year on any given property, and that's what we've modelled for Australia, in particular Byron Bay and New South Wales. Uh, and there are other examples where Paris, for example, has completely banned uh, short-stay accommodation like this. Um, where yeah, it I think Barcelona the is the same as well. And there's some mixed reviews as to whether or not that's worked as well. But I think there just has to be that balance in the middle somewhere, doesn't there? Wendy, as always, it's wonderful to get your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wendy Stone, Professor of Housing and Social Policy at the Centre for Urban Transitions at Swinburne University. Daniel Miles, this is an interesting text. Mm -hmm. Hotels don't accommodate for families at all. We always need a short stays home or an apartment to fit our family in. That is interesting in the sense of over the last few decades, we have seen, I don't know about you, but when mm -hmm. I was growing up, only posh people went on holidays all the time. Only rich people went on holidays all the time. Very oh. rare. I didn't know anyone that went overseas. Yeah, it was a rarity. And if you did know somebody who went overseas, they came back to school and talked about it in front of the whole class because it was such a big thing. <laughs> yes. But now it's something that we're almost expecting yes. to have happen once a year. And, you know, more power to you if you can. That's fantastic. But have we got ourselves into, as we just heard, a vicious cycle mm -hmm. where we're all somehow to blame for this? Because when if you so stay in a hotel, oh, right, you can't... Mm -hmm. 
make your own breakfast. You can't make no. your own lunch. You probably can't fit an entire family in there unless, you know, you're all going to top and tail on a couple of single beds. So the market now for families is because it makes a holiday affordable. And this is something that has changed over the years. So how much of this are we to blame for? Do we all just expect affordable holidays, a home-style place to stay when we go on holidays. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable. One of the many, many texts, this says, stop demonising investors, especially short stays. We have not stolen the property. We worked hard with the same opportunities as everybody else in this country. The burden of social housing falls on the government and investors have contributed taxes to this end. We are taking care of ourselves rather than relying on welfare and we're now being punished for that. What a narrow, punitive and counterproductive mindset. Government has no vision and I'm so tired that people turn against each other to deflect the government's responsibilities. And that's a really interesting point. We're talking about what we can do with our wallets, with our feet, with our travel plans. How do we take a part in it? But I wonder how much of this is a government issue. And when we look at things like travelling overseas, travelling within Australia, uh, one person who knows more about that than both of us put together, Rochelle, is Felicia Mariani. She's the Victorian Tourism Industry Council Chief Executive and joins us now on the program. Good morning, Felicia. You've been oh, looking at morning. this issue for a long time. How much yeah. has it been frustrating you? Yes, we have. And, and you know, I was, I was actually... Um, that's a fabulous text that your one of your listeners actually sent in because... This is a problem that for a long time governments across Australia and around the world have really failed to address. And the situation we find ourselves in now is because no one really wanted to deal with this as it started to emerge as an issue. Um, and I think the biggest problem that we have here is, and we're hearing this from everyone that you're speaking to, this is a very, very complex issue. And you can't just pull one lever to control short-stay accommodation and think that's going to be the magic bullet to fix the problem with longer-term housing solutions or housing affordability. It's a combination of things that has to be done. And we have to look at this very carefully because the decisions matter around short-stay accommodation will undoubtedly have unintended consequences for how regional tourism performs generally across our state. And let's remember that regional tourism is a major contributor to employment and economic viability in many of our areas across Victoria. So this is a real balancing act mm. and not one that you can just flick a switch and go, oh, we'll just limit this to 180 days and everything will be fixed. I wonder what that looks like, though. And you're right in that we rely on tourism. If you take a look at the Latrobe Valley and all of the oh. shutting down of the various... Uh, power stations, the paper mill, the solution for transition yeah. for people in those towns and those communities. We're told is tourism, apparently. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But that is right. What, mm. Something does need to change. I just yeah. wonder if we keep saying, well, we ne you know, we can't regulate short stays accommodation because it will have this detrimental impact on tourism. Will it? Will it really? Well, I mean, we, we do have to remember that a lot of our regional, our, our, our key regional destinations do really rely on short-stay accommodation as a, a critical component of their accommodation stock. But I do want to raise the point here that one of the things we've got to think about is the reason that we've had the proliferation of Airbnb and stays and other short-stay platforms is because traditional accommodation supply has not been able to keep up with the demand of consumers both from a quality as well as a quantity perspective. And a lot of that has to do with the, with the planning regimes that exist in regional Victoria. There's a lot of properties across this state that would love to improve, expand. There are, you know, there's always people looking to build new accommodation. But the planning regimes in a lot of our regional areas across Victoria actually have undermined that growth. So as a consequence, we've seen short-stay platforms pop up because our traditional accommodation has not been able to keep up with demand. So whatever government decides in this regard as we explore this, one of the things that we're calling for is if you are going to put a control on the short-stay accommodation supply, then you better darn well look at the, um, the, the way that we're allowing for expansion, improvement and new accommodation of traditional supply to come back into regional Victoria. 
We're loving all of your contributions on the text line 0437 774 774. This one text saying housing shouldn't be an investment, it's a human right. Another, it'll kill small towns and country Victoria. We're talking with Felicia Mariani, the Victorian Tourism Industry Council Chief Executive. Felicia, when we're in these situations, we often look abroad. We've been speaking yes. and hearing about yes. Paris and Barcelona. Mm-hmm. What's happening mm-hmm. overseas and how could we potentially uh, gain from their information and their, their trials and tribulations in this sector? Mm. Look, you've, you've hit the nail right on the head with this one. And there are countries, cities around the world and countries around the world that have decided to take a very hard stance or look at how they manage this issue. There are also places across Victoria that have taken some very significant steps. Victoria hasn't done much in this space. What we've been saying, and this goes to the heart of your question, Take a look at what has been done. Learn from the principles overseas and here because not everything has worked. Not every measure that people have put into place has actually ended with the result that they were intending. So we need to take the time. And that we, when we started talking about this, we called for an in-depth analysis and research to be done of destinations around the globe that have dealt with this issue, how they've confronted it, what they've done, and what has been the consequences of their measures. Because I keep coming back to that there are unintended consequences that if you don't think carefully about this, this is not just whacking regulation on or deciding that we're going to limit the number of days that you can you can list your property on a short stay platform. Those are all solutions that different people are using in varying degrees. But we need to look at what is the impact mm. of that been. We're actually in a good position that we haven't been the first movers on this one because we have an opportunity to learn. Just, I don't know if you have the answers to this. So just finally, Felicia, let's take Paris, for example, which banned mm. short stays in the heart of the CBD. Has that worked? Because the idea was to try and bring locals back into the heart of Paris to create a bit more of a sense of community. Has mm. that worked? Uh, I have to honestly say I couldn't say whether or not that that has worked. I'm not familiar with the results that that they've seen over there. I do know here domestically that there have been real challenges. I think New South Wales has set a limit of 180 days that you can put your accommodation on a short-stay platform. Now, the unintended consequences being what that's done is that's made the six months, which are peak season, it's pushed all of the inventory into that period. Prices have gone up, accommodation supply has gone down. So, and, and what it's done is, is actually got other people thinking who had longer term accommodation, um, that they were putting out for, for, uh, you know, annual leasing. They're actually looking and going, oh, well, maybe we'll just do six month leasing now and we'll put our, we'll put our program on, or we'll put our property on six months, um, on the short stay platform because we can make a lot more money. So this is where I'm saying that there are unintended consequences of decisions that were made with all the right intentions. But if we don't look at this really carefully, we could create bigger problems in other parts of society that we've got to try to manage. This is, it comes back to the beginning of our conversation. This yeah. is incredibly complex. But, you know, governments are tending to look at the path of least resistance and, you know, doing what might be a popular thing, and that is to limit the number of days that you can list your, your property. That's that could be a solution, but you've got to think carefully about the consequences of that, what that will do to other options that are in the marketplace for accommodation as well. And we keep coming back to the important role that short-stay accommodation plays in our current supply of accommodation stock. Whatever we do, we have to encourage more traditional accommodation to be built. Mm. How do we do that, though? That's the question. A complex problem with a complex solution. Felicia Mariani, thank you very much for joining us. That was Felicia Mariani, Victorian Tourism Industry Council Chief Executive. The text line is lighting oh, up, Rochelle. Yeah. The calls are uh, going off. Well, Felicia was talking about, you know, how do you support and bring back traditional accommodation? So by that, I sort of read into hotels, motels, mm-hmm. for example. There's a text here from Michael and it says, I own and operate an accommodation hotel in country Victoria and I've done so for 25 years. I pay commercial rates, I pay accommodation fee to the council. I have an annual inspection from the council, a six-monthly inspection from the CFA to ensure fire compliance. I employ staff on the correct wages. I contribute rooms and money to marketing campaigns, but I'm surrounded by short-stay accommodation who do none of the above. In fact, our staff have nowhere to live. There is no equal playing field. This is not a sharing econ- economy. 
it's a business. If they're a part of the tourism industry, then rather than just benefiting from the work of others, they should pay the same fees that I'm required to pay. And we're seeing that in some regional areas. I know in southwest Victoria and Warrnambool, they've introduced a $400 fee for anyone who owns an Airbnb as a way to try and equate that market. Uh, Andrew's called in from Warburton. Andrew, what would you like to say? Oh, s- several things. First off, about um, people renting uh, accommodation, uh, I've done it for about 20 years and no one has ever given me more than the absolute minimum of uh, notice when they were going to leave so that renters do them serve no benefit there. Now, the other thing is you look at some places like we have a dog-friendly short-term accommodation at Warburton. It was specifically designed because when we got our little guy, uh, we found out that uh, he couldn't uh, stay with us as per normal, so we built accommodation so other people could share it. And uh, it's all very well to say, you know, I'm taking a house and what have you, but this is actually specific investment. And as someone who has like put money in, mm. the fair bit of money into renovating uh, and upgrading the properties, that's uh, very. So, would you be happy then, Andrew? That text from Michael. He's been a hotel operator for 25 years. It sounds like his rules and regulations and cost to running uh, a tourism accommodation venue are pretty tight and under strict regulation. Would you be happy as a tourism operator, because that's fundamentally what short stays accommodation are, to work under those same rules and regulations? Um, I find it sort of, it's one of these things like the the, the state government is particularly there's a great one in, impl- import, in putting costs in. You know, does they, do you really need to have a, a six-monthly inspection by the CFA to see if his things are up to date? Probably not. Oh. Um, what other, other things? It's people's safety, though. Well, is it? Or is it one of those tick-the-box things? You know, the, the, the stairs have been put in 20 years ago. You know, a back entrance stairs that are in steel. So okay. if there's I a think you've answered the question. I'll take that as a, as a no. You wouldn't want to go <laughs> under the, the same regulations. But, Andrew, good to hear from you. There's just so many people here. Let's try and whip through a few. And in queue, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, very interesting conversation, um, Rochelle. And I'm, I'm um, actually on the road from Melbourne to Canberra where um, I'm, a con- I'm a renter uh, and a long-term renter. I've been um, renting all my life, all my adult life. But I'm also a consumer of both um, Airbnb and uh, Booking.com, depending on... In Sydney, Adelaide and Canberra. And it's um, what I'm finding with Airbnb more and more is not only are the prices outrageous... But the, um, there is no regulation. I mean, I've stayed in places that on, you know, on, on the, um, on the webpage look quite acceptable and, you know, have said private, private bathroom and, you know, and I've, I've, I've got to the property and it's been dark, dingy, uh, three other people in student-like accommodation, dirty sheets and a shared bathroom with four other people. Sounds like my worst nightmare. Um, (laughs) My, my worst nightmare as well. And, and the thing is that they're not regulated Mm. and, um, I, you know, the, the motel owner that, um, called, that texted in, I mean, You know, there are the haves and the have-nots. I think people with multiple properties in this country should consider themselves very, very lucky, should be regulated, whether that's government regulation or or state, you know, state or federal. I believe they should be regulated. Um, And I've stayed in places where, you know, stairs are... um, treacherous to get up to the property and it's certainly not... Well, I guess that goes to the last caller's point, doesn't it, Mm. that should you have to have your stairs checked every six months? Maybe, yes. And is that part of equating the the playing field between those who run commercial operations and those that do it with their own additional properties? I'm loving hearing from both renters and landlords. Peter's called in from Heathcote. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, guys. Um, We got into Airbnb... We bought the property next door to us to get my wife's parents up. Unfortunately, while renovating, father and passed away, and then mum wouldn't come up. And having had two rental properties before that were both trashed, 
we didn't want to go back into the rental market and live next door. The short stays has worked out quite well for us. We've met some wonderful people and we're starting to get return business from that. I just don't know how they're talking about capping the our market to 60 days per year. So what do I do with that property for the rest of the year? Put it do back on. The, what they're hoping it, it will do is force you to think, oh, hang on a second, this is not worth it. I'm going to put it back on the long-term rental market. Yeah, which I'm not going to do for the reasons I just explained. I'm not going to live next door and then rent it out. I would, I'd sell it before yeah. I was forced to put it back on the rental market. What about the idea of just stricter regulations? So rather than a cap on the night, it being falling under a business model at the moment, because it's the reason why so many people have got into this, let's be frank, is because there's so much money to be made. Mm-hmm. So would you be happy to fall under stricter regulations to this, Peter? I have no problem with that. But our property is... Um, with the amount of comments we get for the uh, cleanliness and because we look at it as a place that we would want to stay at. If we wouldn't uh, want to stay in it, we wouldn't let it out. But I would have no problem with inspections okay. being done or yeah. um, we, uh, we have all the safety things, that extinguishers, we have fire blankets, we have anything that, that we need. But I just I can't see how they can force us to say that you can only open it up for 60 days of the year. But I'm not going to open it up for the remainder of the year to have a, to put it out to rent. Is Peter, no- thank you very much for your call. This is the question that we're asking now about regulation. Do we need to create an equal playing field? Uh, this text just in, the hotel owner's correct. My daughter runs a boutique hotel on the Bellarine and controls both council and state government are compulsory. They're regulated within an inch, but Airbnbs do not. I really don't think most mm. people understand that text in from Debbie. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you could probably almost take the same analogy of the rules and regulations that fall if you run a cafe or a bakery. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to just, you cook really good cupcakes, right, Daniel Miles? And yep, you've I decided, do. <laughs> I've heard, this is the thing, <laughs> but you want to sell them. You've decided mm-hmm. that you want to sell them at local markets or you want to sell them to a local cafe. You can't do that from your home unless you fall under all of the same rules and regulations of a commercial kitchen or commercial yep. bakery. So why should this be any different? Why mm-hmm. should a short stays accommodation not fall under the same regulations as a hotel, and as a caravan a park? That's it. This, is this a loophole that's yet to catch up with the way that we've been going? Uh, Helen from Joanna's call in. The lines are absolutely lighting up this morning. Good morning, Helen. Thanks for holding. No worries. Um, I just probably echo what Michael said earlier. We own four fully self-contained cottages on the Great Ocean Road, uh, have done for the last 30 years. We are under all the state and uh, statutory requirements to run prescribed accommodation. And Airbnb, short-term holiday rental, offer exactly what we offer but don't have any of the overheads. So the regulations are already in place. They don't have to come up with 60 days or, you know, reinvent the wheel. Um, If the overheads were the same, if they were recognised as prescribed accommodation, such as we are, a registered business, the overheads would, um, Mm. you know, make... How long did you say you've been in this business for, Helen? Was it 20 years? (laughs) 30. 30. So you would have initially been running under what we used to call uh, just a and b a bed and breakfast. Fully self fully self-contained accommodation on the Great Ocean Road. So you have seen a shift then. So now lots of people would just expect that to be a short stay. So you're saying that you sort of fall under different regulations because you started up before the the explosion of short stays. Yeah, yeah. Like there were lots of uh, accommodations on the Great Ocean Road. We all had to be registered businesses to do or prescribed accommodations. And we are up for all the overheads that running that business entails, um, state and council fees, etc., and all the inspections. But uh, when Airbnb came on, they, the state government just let them come on <laughs> with no regulation. Yeah. Good to hear from you as well. 
it's funny, you know, you, there's just so many conflicting ideas around this. I mean, it's so emotional. It's such a hot topic and it affects so many people. This, mm-hmm. Daniel and Rochelle, you are so right. When I was a child, we never had holidays. Only rich <laughs> folks did. Same for my children now. People now think an annual family holiday is the minimum requirement. That's from Susan. But then on the flip side, it says, well, no hotels accommodate for families. If you have four people in the family, there's no connecting rooms. You need a, a short stays. But mm. as we said at the beginning of the show, do we expect that now? And mm. it's a supply and demand issue. So how much of this, at the end of the day, comes down to the fact that we're hitting book? Yep. And we're, we're voting with our feet. We're voting with our computer mouse. And, and how much of that is our responsibility? If we're not enjoying the fruits of our labour, what part of it comes back to us? It's such a, a really tricky question and so emotion-charged because in so many places, your home is your identity and it, it is really the heart of, of what a lot of people consider themselves. And it's not just landlords, it's renters too. Paige has called in from Melbourne. Paige, you're a renter. Yeah, um, and I've been a renter for a couple of years. I just want to speak on some of the things that some of the landlords were calling up about before, saying that um, regulations had gone too far in the way of renters. Um, Basically, everyone I know, and myself included, has been in dodgy rentals for as long as we can remember. Um, And even with these regulation changes, we don't feel confident in our right to be able to stand up for ourselves because as soon as we do, we receive massive rent increases and then a notice to vacate. Um, so, and these landlords aren't fixing these mold infestations, these leaks, these, you know, drafty houses that are freezing all the time. Like, we don't have any rights, really, because there's no one to stand up for us. Paige, Airbnb and some of these short-stay accommodation places are then posing themselves as the next frontier for, for those medium-term length stays. Have you or any of your counterparts looked at um, potentially leaving the traditional rental market? Mm. Is that enticing to you, Those some of these six-month stays that you can stay with Airbnb, given they are under a different set of regulations? But with what money? Like, we are, we're currently being squeezed out for every dollar we have to stay in rentals as it is, and Airbnbs are way more expensive. And that's the reason why people own Airbnbs is so they can get away with their regulations. Absolutely. I mean, this text says, find me a tenant who'll move out during school holidays and I'll let them rent my cottage at lawn. We're actually hearing that, especially along the surf coast, that 10-month leases are fairly standard, Daniel Miles. And Mm. guess the two months that you have to move out in. Look, I'd guess that'd be probably January and February. Yeah. Just in the middle of summer holidays. Yeah. This text, everyone is fighting amongst each other because councils and governments haven't done their bit to create enough housing. That is a big part of this as well, where we look at, okay, we are fighting amongst ourselves now. We're starting Mm -hmm. to question, all right, is this my fault because I booked a family holiday? Or is this an investor's fault because they've seen an opportunity to make money and to invest for their superannuation? But at the end of the day, if the opportunity is there, can you blame people for taking it up? Yeah, or as Felicia Mariani said earlier, is this a sector's fault for not keeping up with what the actual consumers were demanding? We had people, and the text line has lit up with people saying, I have a family, I cannot get a hotel with adjoining rooms. I'm a family of four, I'm a family of five. And to be honest, it's also an affordability issue. As as you mentioned earlier in the hour, if you were to sleep in a hotel, are you going top to tail in single beds with trundle beds that are being pulled out? There's no real answer, which is why the disruption of this gig economy has been so successful, but we voted ourselves in part. It's not all our fault. It's not all my fault. Don't point at me like that, Rochelle. It's it's part of what we've found and, and sort of found ourselves yeah. in. Louise is in Rye. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I live next door to an Airbnb um, and to a group of small units with adjoining walls. It's just on a regular size block. And um, it's pretty horrible. So I just thought I'd ring from the perspective of a, a local that has to live next door to one. And, and that's not just having... for beautiful areas like Rye, where you are, Louise. We know that it's a huge issue for high-density living in places like Docklands that were once residential, and then they sort of turn into these party front houses a lot of the time. Yeah, and they just, they're not really party people but that I've found so far, but they the vibe and, you know, it's just there's not the harmony that you have with a next-door neighbour that you know and that you're friendly with. Mm. And, you know, they... 
they leave their dogs out in the in the courtyard barking when they go oh, out, and no one wants you know, that. They yeah. put their poo, their dog poo bags in my bin, and oh, I hate that. I saw someone do that at my bin the other day, and I was so grossed oh. out. Even though I didn't, I like Did you I say anything? Care. No, oh, I was like, oh, the bins don't get taken out for a couple of days, and now there's dog poo in my bin. Anyhow, that's a whole different <laughs> conversation. Let's have a chat to Michael McLeod. He's a real estate agent in Cowes in Phillip Island. Michael, we spoke at the beginning of the program about how places like Cowes have always just been a, a traditionally a, a holiday destination. Now it's a permanent residential destination. Are locals that have holiday homes feeling pressured to put their house back on the full-time rental market? Hi, look, we haven't had that happen as yet. We've still got um, a, a fair bit of um, holiday rentals still coming through. And I find the people who have brought in the last five, seven years, uh, the demographic, they like the holiday rental. They don't really need it as much, if that makes sense. They mm. don't have to have the income per se. They've got equity in their own homes, good jobs, good businesses. And it, it, it really has been a lifestyle choice with a little bit of an investment, not the whole priority being the investment side of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Michael, looking at cows and Phillip Island as a, as a small case study, over the last decade or so that we've seen Airbnb and short-stay popularity really boom, how much has the fabric of cows changed in that time from, the, from your perspective? It has changed. We we don't have. Uh, we've got a lot more people who I'm going to say a higher socio-economic group who have been buying, and the houses aren't being used as much. Um, so if you walk around in the evening, there's a lot of homes are vacant. So it shows that they're not permanent. Um, there hasn't been the big uptake of, mm. of permanence. There's been some percentage, and our population is growing. But if you walk. For me, the indication, if you walk around at night time, I take my dog for a walk most nights, most streets are quiet. Um, what does that do to the fabric of the town when you are walking around like that and it does feel like a ghost town in off-season? Um, look, that's a lot of people have moved here for that as well, to have the quiet, the quieter lifestyle. So, um, look, it, it really is a hard... Um, I know I talked to a lot of cafe owners or a lot of local businesses. People can't... Um, this is not the rental properties that we used to have. Yeah. Um, and that might change in the next six months with interest rates, people making that conscious decision. Yeah, so the, just, the, the purchase that, that they've made, all of a sudden they can't afford. Michael, good to get your insights. Thank you. Michael McLeod Thanks, is a real estate agent in Cowes in Phillip Island. Daniel Miles, we have to apologise to anyone that sent a text in that we didn't read out today mm. because we may have broke broken i don't know if it's called the text machine but i'm going to call it the text machine it's well, there's smoke emitting from the text machine <laughs> uh, which isn't a good sign among all this electronics but uh it's been a furious debate are you going to change the way you think next time you book a holiday rochelle i i will I, i'll think about it will it stop me if i'm really honest i don't think it will i think mm. until there's it's too hard to do whether that's yep. affordability or accessibility, we'll continue to do it. So, the, you know, the genie is out of the bottle. How it gets put back in, it might come down to individual councils and to individual communities, how they manage that. But it's certainly not going away. And I think a lot of it, as we've seen today, it's come down to the fact that it's easy and it's an easy way to make money for people that have it and have that opportunity. Yeah, and you can't deny someone that. Ooh, anyway... Daniel Miles, as always, thank you. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. We'll do you too, Rochelle. I'm taking a couple of weeks leave. The wonderful Nick Healy will be joining you for the next few weeks. If you're heading off on holidays, make sure you do it well. Be safe. Be happy. If you want to download the Conversation Hour podcast, easiest way to do that is subscribe. Go to the ABC Listen app and hit subscribe, and that way you will never miss an episode.